Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. Um, as we, I suppose, enter the new financial year, sort of well and truly um, starting the 2018-2019 financial year, we're starting to see the performance of a number of superannuation funds for the year ending 30th of June 2018. Um, and as far as the top performers, um, the, I think there's been a few media reports recently about I suppose industry funds making up, um, I suppose, a, a large proportion of the top 30 performing funds for the last financial year. So I thought we'd just sort of delve into that today and just look at the performance of those funds, but also try and understand why they perform the way they have and really just understanding um, the investment mix between, um, I suppose, within each of those investment options. Um, so, Nathan, when, when we look at the top 30 funds, um, essentially, the, what they're comparing is like a balanced option across each of the funds that they've um, that they've looked at. And for our listeners, a balanced option essentially means that the funds have been invested in, in, in a, I suppose, balanced way across a number of different asset classes. And when you look at the top two or three performers, we're seeing Host Plus balanced option, Oz Safe Super, My Super, which is a balanced option, and Australian Super's balanced option. Um, but the one thing I wanted to talk about today is that it's all good and well to look at the headline performance of a fund, um, and in particular a balanced option. But it, I suppose one thing that we wanted to have a discussion today about is really just understanding what balance means, because each balanced option can have a very different asset allocation, can't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely, Glenn. And I mean, we, we've, I guess, we've highlighted a couple today, which we'll talk about breakdown a little bit. Uh, Australian Super and Host Plus, I think we'll kind of just two of the bigger ones when we, we've just had a look at their asset allocation before um, we, we jumped online for the podcast and uh, they're, they're up around that 80% mark in terms of exposure to growth assets. So share basically shares and, and property, things that or infrastructure, for example, things that can grow. Yeah, and I suppose when you've got a rising market, so in the last, well, if we're looking at 12-month returns, which, which this particular report uh, focuses on, Share markets have performed well, whether it's in Australia or overseas, so and property. So, arguably, the greater allocation you have to those asset classes that are going up, then it's pretty obvious that the performance is going to be a lot stronger, isn't it? Is it is it fair to say, call in your opinion, is it fair to call something with eighty percent exposure to growth assets balanced? Well, well that, that's where it's sort of um, subjective, isn't it? Because one's view, one one investor's view of balance could be quite different. And that's where, I mean, my, my suggestion would be when you're looking at each of these options and, and perhaps either assessing how your fund's performing or even if you're a new entrant into superannuation and looking which fund to invest in, um, it's all good and well to look at the top performers and just pick you know the best performer. But you've also got to look beneath that a little bit deeper and understand how they differentiate because, yes, Host Plus is the best performer in the last year, but as you were saying, it's got roughly 80% of its investment in growth assets so equities whether that be australian international um private equity and property whereas other funds which perhaps haven't performed as strongly may have a lower allocation to those growth assets so i think when you're looking at performance it all has to be relative yeah i I mean i think just my two cents i think 80 percent is is too high to be called a balanced option this is my personal opinion yeah yeah and I, i think of the word balance meaning, as the name suggests, it's quite evenly spread yep. across different styles of um, uh, of investment types and income producing yeah. and growth. 
really the way I look at it is if, if the market goes up, great, you'll take part in it. But if the market goes down, um, you know, if you have an 80% allocation to growth style assets and uh, you go through a period where, say, shares and property can be in a negative cycle together, you, you, you can severely it can severely impact your, your returns over you know, a year or two. Yeah. Uh, as and a balanced investor, do you want that? Probably and that's the not. Question, and that's the question you've got to ask yourself, isn't it? I mean, it's all good and well being happy when markets are going up, but when you're looking at your portfolio and you see that it's 80% exposed to assets that can also fall in value, you've got to ask yourself the question, yes, I'm happy when it's going up, but am I going to be able to cope you know, if there is a downturn on my portfolio significantly underperforms. Because as you were saying, most people, I think when they make the option balanced, they probably don't think it's as aggressive as perhaps what a lot of these funds are. And it, 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 that, that whole view about balanced growth is subjective. Everyone's got different views. I suppose our view is that, I'll probably share your view in, in that balance should be a balanced exposure to different assets. And perhaps they're arguing that it's balanced exposure to Australian equities, international equities, infrastructure, private equity and so forth whereas in our view perhaps balance is that mix between growth type assets and more defensive or capital stable type assets so yep. we've probably in the past gone down more of a 50 50 split between assets that can grow and assets that have more um, capital stability that's what we'd probably argue as balanced um, whereas whereas these funds are quite different um, but i suppose you know when you're looking at the performance of all these funds the other thing that i really i was suppose keen to have a look at was the future fund which has a longer term objective and and for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, the future fund is, is effectively australia's um, sovereign wealth fund which was set up some years ago um, to help provide for unfunded government pension liabilities um, it, it was seeded via the sale of telstra and it has been added to over the years it's currently got about 140 billion dollars invested now it's Performance. If you just looked at its bottom line performance for the 12 months um, ending 31st March 2018, then its one-year performance is 8.6%. So if you looked at that, and I know it's over a different time frame, but if you looked at that compared to you know, these industry funds or, or just superannuation funds in general that have done double-digit returns, you'd say, well, what's the future fund doing? I mean, what, why are they bothering managing their own assets? Well, they're not doing a good job. They've, they've underperformed by 50%. But I suppose it's important to understand what the objective of the future fund is as well and where they're investing the money. And the, the future fund's objective is, is essentially to generate a return of, between, of, of CPI plus 4 to 5%. So they would argue that in the last year, they've exceeded their target, which was 5.8%. That was their target return over the last 12 months. And then even over the last 10 years, where they've returned 8.5% versus a target of 6.7%. So is, is it right to say that although they're underperforming the average balance fund, that given that they're meeting their objective, that they're achieving what they need to achieve? Well, in, in the last 12 months, you could say they've underperformed, but you, you just mentioned their 10-year figure, which was 8.5% was per annum over 10 years, which I would argue is quite possibly outperform the majority of industry funds over 10 years. Well, yeah. I, I just looked at Australian Super, for example, which is the biggest, yeah. and their balance fund over 10 years has performed 7.31%. So yeah. they've, they've outperformed that one by 1.2% over mm. 10 years. So 
Yeah, it's and the future fund's got a lot more allocated to more defensive assets as well. Yes, but it's a lot, a lot more. It's a it's a far more conservative portfolio. Well, do, when you, do you want to maybe go through just quickly outline the asset allocation? Yeah, so uh, look, the asset allocation as far as what we would classify as more defensive capital stable assets like cash um, and, and and debt securities, it's in excess of it's almost thirty percent that that are in more defensive type assets. So it is far more conservative. They've only got six point three percent in Australian shares. Um, and about 27% in international shares. There, there is some private equity in there and infrastructure, but I would argue it's, a, it's probably a more conservative investment approach. Well, it's about, four, it's about 40% in cash and, and kind of fixed income, income-producing yeah. assets. So, yeah. I mean, that's getting, getting closer to what we would consider more of a balanced style That's right. Alternative. And I, I suppose that, that that's one thing that I was keen to talk about. It's not always about just getting the best possible return you can because if that was your long-term objective then you would have 100% in shares or or property or assets that can grow um, we, we would, I suppose like to advise our clients that it's about getting the best return for you based on what your situation is and what your objectives are um, without taking too much risk I mean we, we have sort of an internal philosophy where we, we try to set up portfolios that can achieve our clients' objectives with the minimum level of risk. And we try to have discussions with our clients about the risk of investing a higher proportion of their assets in growth assets, uh, which, yes, can result in a higher return over a longer period of time, but it's also explained to them that that sort of approach can also result in not not risk of losing money, but just greater volatility and what would their level of comfort be seeing their portfolio fluctuate in value um, at, at a higher rate than perhaps having a more um, more conservative approach. So I, I think you know the, the danger is that when you're looking at these returns, you, you, you compare it to how you're performing without looking a bit deeper and looking at the, I suppose, risk of a portfolio. Because if you're looking at it purely on performance, you'd say, well, you know, Host, Host Plus Balance Fund has outperformed. I'm going to jump into that one compared to perhaps... The future fund, which has done you know eight point five percent, without understanding that, in relative terms, the future fund's probably done better because it's a, it's a far more conservative approach. So it's about finding the right investment option for your given situation and your objective. Because you know the danger is that people chop and change and jump from one fund to the next, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's a it's a great point and a, a great time to raise um, an article that we we're just looking at where. Uh, Q Super, um, basically one a Queensland industry fund, did some analysis uh, around that this whole concept with people chopping and changing to the best performing fund. So, um, we've on this podcast we've spoken about many times the importance of having a long term investment horizon and you know, having a, a one or two year um, time frame uh, can be dangerous. So, Q Super did this study where it basically looked at over the last 10 years, if you chopped and changed to the best performing fund every year, it actually hampers your performance. Um, so the example was if, if somebody who started with $50,000 um, in a balanced superannuation fund in July 2007 and swapped their super each year to the previous year's best balance fund, they ended up with $68,000 in 2017, which is 10 years later. Now, this compares with $86,000 for a person who stuck with uh, a, a, con- a, consistent, a consistently good fund. So, it just I guess the study just highlights, if you, yeah, if you chop and change each year, 
to yesterday's winner, it doesn't mean that they're going to be tomorrow's winner. Yeah. And it's dangerous. And obviously, it would add transaction costs and things like that. So they actually took the... I mean, we've... We've said this many times before, don't chase, don't chase yesterday's best performer. I mean, they've obviously gone and taken the time to do the analysis and it, and it, um, I guess it verifies that that's, that's, that's accurate. And, and the other concern from my perspective is that these performance figures are really only based on 12 months, aren't they? You know, we, we continually try and um, remind our listeners and our clients to take a longer-term view. Um, and my, my concern with funds, I suppose, not not necessarily um, announcing their results, but with such a big focus on 12-month returns, the concern is that a lot of these managers, whether it's industry funds or, or just fund managers in general, because there's such a close attention put on short-term performance, that their investment decisions are very short-term focused. Is, is that is that another concern that you know a, a lot of the flow of funds mm. for the general um, public is driven by performance? Because that's what people, I suppose simplistically can understand is okay what what's the performance been Mm. you would just hate to think that as a result of that focus on short-term performance that these fund managers are continually making decisions based on short-term performance and not taking a long-term view with their investment strategies what's your view on that do you think that's a a bit of a risk (laughs) oh look definitely i mean (laughs) you you never really know internally what the conversations they're having but uh, I, i think there would be pressure on on them uh to try and chase the the easy dollar uh, but you, i guess you just have to have confidence that, that they're, they're taking that long-term view and i, I suppose that how do you make sure of that I'd, I'd be looking at long-term performance when i'm making an assessment on on a fund and yeah. you know for example the future fund has been really good over a long period of time or um, i mean there is a couple of those those funds on the on the list that have had good long-term performance but i suppose the message that i would say is when you see one of those news articles that say the best performers over the last twelve months, don't even don't even look at it. <laughs> that's just my personal opinion. Just look for one that talks yeah. about performance over ten years. It's long term returns and consistent performance, isn't it? Because you, you, I mean, most people wouldn't be able to deal with a fund that does really really well one year, very bad in the next year, and then sort of average, and then does really really well. Mm-hmm. I suppose what we're saying is to look for a fund that just provides good, consistent, solid returns o- over a long period of time. Um, and and not just chase you know last year's performance because the risk is that most people become more aggressive when at, when markets are doing well don't they I mean everyone becomes comfortable with the share market when it's when it's doing well whereas on the flip side when the markets are doing bad that's where people become more conservative um, so the danger of chopping and changing funds is that mo- I, I I would argue that some people might when when they sort of set up their super funds select a more conservative option. You know the equity markets do really, really well, so they jump into that. And then when it gets, when, when the going gets tough and the market comes off, they're chopping and changing. So it, it's not even just chasing the last year's best performing fund. Sometimes it's just chopping and changing the overall investment option within your fund, isn't it? Because you're not, you can't handle the volatility of the option that you've chosen. And most people chop and change at the worst possible time, don't they? Like they're jumping into the share market when it's rising, and they're jumping out when it's falling. When you should be doing the opposite. But that's where that balanced option is, is, you know, should arguably give you the exposure to all those different asset classes. And if you stick with it over a long period of time, that, that's going to put you in, in a better position. So, yeah, I mean, is there, is there really anything else that... I was just going to make the point, I suppose, the, 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 when we discussed asset allocations and, and designing the mix of investments and perhaps, perhaps 
it can be, can be a little bit tricky for everyday investors or you know just re- retail superannuation clients to understand what balanced and growth is and you really have to look through the the correspondence online the, the product disclosure statements to to find out what that is that's why a viable alternative can be a self-managed fund i mean we're obviously strong advocates of self-managed superannuation funds if you do have i guess the scale or enough money to make it cost effective because you can you can design a, a bespoke asset allocation that is um, specifically tailored to your needs so i suppose just to highlight um, a self-managed superannuation can be a viable option for yeah and i think it's also a great exercise to sit down with your advisor and sort of talk about where you're at now what your objectives are and then have a discussion about okay what return is required to achieve those objectives and as a result of that what asset allocation or what investment strategy is required to achieve that return and then you can sort of look at that and do a bit of sensitivity analysis and say okay how would i how would I um, react to movements in the market? Am I comfortable with that investment strategy or that asset allocation? Um, am I comfortable that if the return that I need is perhaps quite high and therefore have to be allocated to more growth-type assets, um, if that's what's going to achieve my objectives, that's fine. But how will I deal with it if the market goes against me? So I think it's just a matter of really sitting down and working out what strategy is right for you. And, and even if your return is lower perhaps than the average super fund not 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 comparing yourself with the other fund but just asking is am i achieving my objective is this portfolio doing what i need it to be doing um, and therefore not taking unnecessary risk because i think most people don't know what sort of strategy they require to achieve their objectives and are probably too heavily focused on the return versus the return relative to what their objectives are and, and i think the future funds are perfect example of that they've got you know I wouldn't say a conservative target, but they've got their return that they've highlighted, which is, um, I suppose, appropriate for them over a long period of time to achieve their objectives. And they've designed a strategy according to that. So that doesn't mean they're going to outperform every uh, every fund every year. That's just impossible. But they've, they'll, I suppose, consistently uh, meet their met their objective. And that's what I'd be suggesting clients and, and investors to do is, is not compare yourself with other people's performance, but compare yourself with, you know, the, the your portfolio's ability to achieve your own objectives. The, the future fund is a great example where they've they've designed that portfolio to protect the downside, and I mean we speak about this quite a bit as well. Where uh, with our client portfolios, we we definitely have that bias towards uh, striving to protect the downside. So that means that if the markets do run hot a little bit and and, and you miss some of that upside, well that's okay as long as you're aware of that and can understand that. Uh, but when you know the inevitable market downturn happens because we all know they happen all the t- <laughs> on average you know every kind of 10 years you'll probably see a some kind of a market downturn so when that does happen you want your portfolio to be able to stand up and uh, it might still fall but yeah. not fall at such a, a dramatic level uh, dramatic rate so it's really it's understanding the performance isn't it and understanding yeah. the reasons why your portfolio might be underperforming in a certain cycle and as you were saying i mean if your portfolio is designed to achieve your objectives and minimize the downside then the fact is it probably is going to underperform in a in a in a bull market isn't it like in a very strong market so it's just a matter of understanding that and not not getting um disappointed or or, or frustrated because you're underperforming everyone else um yeah. so look on on that note as i was saying just just to sort of rehash don't focus too much on headline performance look at where the funds are investing understand 
and and be comfortable that the asset allocation that those funds have is appropriate for you and that you'll be able to tolerate perhaps the volatility that may be inherent within those portfolios if markets do go against you. But being more focused on your portfolio's ability to achieve your specific objectives. So not worrying about what everyone else is doing um, and, and also managing that, that downside risk as well. Um, so thank you for listening to this week's podcast and look forward to speaking to you all again next week.